It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. You're listening to Music City Gold. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We are brought to you by 7th Element, and I'm your host, Kyle. With me, as always, is Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. So a little interesting thing tonight, guys, I forgot my headphones, so it's weird recording in front of you guys without having any earmuffs on. Yeah, it's okay. We are continually monitoring your status right now. It is weird because Kyle's normally the one who oversees all this, but uh, I think the show will go on just fine. Without them, Kyle. You'll be all right. Keeping a, having to keep a monitor on the weather, too. I think there's a little bit of a tornado warning. is kind of close by us. It looks like we'll probably miss the majority of the storm, but a uh, bit of a severe thunderstorm going on outside right now. Yeah, if the power goes out, um, we will postpone and pick it up tomorrow because <laughs> we might lose this recording. That is the plan. I was telling uh, my wife on the way home, I saw a lightning actually strike one of the cell phone towers on 840, and I have not seen that before, and it was kind of cool and kind of scary <laughs> kind at the same time because you see the tower get hit and then it's white everywhere and you're like for a split second we all could have died but you didn't and you made it here and we have power so guess what that means we can talk about hockey we can but before we get there i want to ask you a question matt yesterday daniel and i went with some friends to go axe throwing have you been axe throwing before i have not this seems like a sport for you that seems right up my alley like knives Yes. Axes. Axes. Flannel. <laughs> yes. Beards. Yes. Throwing at wood. Just chucking it. And nobody got injured, I assume. No. Nope. It's great, though. If you have, like, any pent-up rage, like a lot of Preds fans do right now with their team, it's great to go there, take an axe, and just throw it as hard as you can at those targets. I was trying to throw the axe through the wall. Like, there's yeah. no... uh there was nothing subtle about his method. It was uh, very Gimli-esque from Lord of the Rings, so... I'll give it to him, but... Uh, Did find out that if there's ever a um, zombie apocalypse, I'm not going to be the person in charge of throwing the axes because I'm going to suck at it. Yeah. He, uh, he wasn't doing too well on getting on the stick, but you should look into it because quite fun. Yeah, that seems right up my alley. I have to check that out. And speaking of guys who almost died, Kyle, did you see what happened the other night in the OHL to Tucker Tynan? I did not. I was uh, actually monitoring the Preds game, and I saw... Well, as I saw, I started hearing it come through the feed of Twitter because everyone's going, oh my gosh, this guy in the OHL almost lost his leg. And they said at one point he may have died on the ice because, and I didn't see a video of it, thankfully, but I saw a picture. I saw the picture. Oh my goodness. That was a ton of blood. And I am very happy that the medical staff there, the ice dogs and London Knights were able to get him off the ice as quick as they can and get him to the hospital. So he basically, what was it? He took a skate blade to the to leg. The, like almost inner thigh. Must so have hit like a femoral artery yeah, femoral or something. Artery, and he was bleeding out essentially on the ice. And um, I, I saw the picture because it was a bunch of leftover like towels and stuff from the bench and they had removed everything. And I'm like, man, that, that was a rough scene. I've never seen anything like that. That was brutal. Um, so they apparently canceled games for the entire weekend. So they're going to reschedule that one as well. But uh, prayers and thoughts out to him because, man, that was a brutal injury on the ice. 
I have to say, you know, I work in surgery. I see a lot of crap, and I, it was hard to even look at the photo of how much blood uh, was on the ice there. That had to be a very scary situation to go through. And I've heard, I've heard players talk about when they've had injuries in the past where they're scared, you know, they got uh, blades to the face. I oh. listened to one guy who got his eye, uh, ended up losing his eyesight in his eye, former NHLer, and and how scary it is in the moment. You know, you think this is fun and games, you know, we're playing, uh, getting paid to do something we love, but, you know, it's life-threatening almost, some of these some of these really scary injuries. So it's quite unfortunate, but I think they said he's in the hospital and doing a little bit better. I think the GM, uh, Joey Burke, said that the worst appears uh, to be behind us, and we're looking forward to working together and moving forward. Yeah, they said yesterday he was on crutches, so he is making a recovery fast, and hopefully he, we get to see him on the ice real soon. Yeah, he actually tweeted out, he said, I just wanted to say thanks to everyone for the kind words. Uh, truly, they mean more than anyone can ever know. An unfortunate situation, looking forward to recovering and coming back even stronger and healthier than before. So, in high spirits, but definitely a scary event, and hopefully he can come back and be just as productive for the Ice Dogs on the ice once he makes that full recovery. And another player who has made the news recently is the Philadelphia Flyers' Oscar Limbaum, who uh, was apparently diagnosed with Ewan sarcoma, which before this came out, I did not know what this was. And so I looked it up, and Ewan sarcoma is a cancer found in the bones of the, lo- of the legs, arms, chest, pelvis, spine, or skull, and it's often found in teenagers and young adults under the age of 25, and Oscar is 23 years old. I'm not a medical doctor, but that does not seem like a easily treatable disease, but at the same time, I mean, he is young. I mean, that is crazy to think. He's 23 years old. He's three years younger than me, and he's going to be battling this cancer. So uh, once again, prayers and thoughts out to him because uh, he's got a long road ahead and hopefully he can recover and come back to the NHL and start putting up some sweet numbers again. But that is a very difficult situation for him. Yeah, I've got a quote from my teammate James Van Riemsdyk on the matter. He was speaking about him, and he said, uh, this is much bigger than hockey. This is about someone's life. We're there to support him through this whole process. He's a big part of our group here, and he's going to remain a big part of that, and we want him to feel a part of this. This is more... Uh, in the realm of just life and that stuff. But hockey is a big part of his life. He's going to be that guy we're going to miss on the ice and miss having him around. There is that other side of it too, though, that certainly makes it tough to concentrate on hockey when you have a good friend going through something like this. We want to make him proud with our play. He's a big part of everything we do here, and he's going to remain a big part of that going forward. Yeah, to piggyback off that, uh, Chuck Fletcher, the GM for the Flyers, also released a statement. It said, the Philadelphia Flyers forward Oscar Lindholm has been diagnosed with the sarcoma by the leading specialist at the University of Pennsylvania. He will undergo further testing and evaluation next week and begin treatment immediately. Uh, He's not expected to return to play for the remainder of the season. The Flyers will do everything possible to support Oscar and assist him in securing the best care available uh, out of respect and Oscar for his and his family, the team will have no further comment at this time on the matter. So basically, nice statement and sentiment saying that they're going to basically back him up for everything that he's going to be doing, all the treatments that he's going to be going forward. Um, it's it's going to be a long road ahead, but hopefully he'll be able to get back to NHL status in the future. 
Yeah, I did see a picture that they tweeted out of his jersey was still hanging up in the locker room. I thought that's a nice little reminder, and I bet really that that will give the players, uh, they'll rally behind that, and that'll actually uh, that'll help to turn something good out of a not-so-good situation. Flyers have been on a tear, so give them a little bit more motivation. I think they're going to be just fine for the rest of the season. And so moving on to uh, what's happened since we last recorded, uh, December 9th, the Board of Governors met, and as you know, with what has been happening with the league right now with Bill Peters, uh, Mark Crawford, and uh, Mike Babcock, the agenda obviously changed from what they had. And so, of course, December 9th, everyone meets, the commissioner's there, Bill Daly's there, and they release a statement of a plan they come up with. So, guys, I actually printed this off because I figured it was actually going to be too big for our notes. And I'm going to be paraphrasing this here. And this is a statement from NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman. It says, for immediate release... Gary Bettman made the following statement after today's Board of Governors meeting, uh, said as one of the preeminent professional sports leagues in the world and the preeminent hockey league in the world, we recognize and embrace our role in setting an example. And we are now obviously aware of conduct that was and is unacceptable. Whether it happened 10 years ago or last week, the answer must be the same. It's unacceptable. And so they addressed that they've made four key points that they're going to be doing going forward uh, after the Board of Governors meeting. And the very first thing that was interesting was that this is the same thing that he actually told the Board of Governors. So what the media was told was the exact same thing the press was told. And this is number one. We don't like surprises. The Bill Peters situation was a complete surprise to them. He said, going forward, our clubs are on notice that if they become aware of an incident of conduct involving NHL personnel on or off the ice, that is clearly inappropriate, unlawful, or demonstrably abusive, or if it violates the league's policies, including the NHL club personnel on or off the ice, both Bill Daly or himself must be notified, and there will be zero tolerance for any failure to notify us in the event of such a failure. Now, they didn't specify what that discipline is going to be. Now, number two, he said, while I do not believe that most NHL coaches conduct themselves in an inappropriate manner, he in fact believes that most NHL coaches are professional and respectful in the way they coach, and the profession is not deserving of the blanket condemnation because of some people. Well, that's what happens when you're in, no matter where you're at, one or so I would say one, a couple of bad apples will spoil the entire bunch. So now the coaches going forward are going to have to show to not only their teams, but to do everybody else that they know how to coach appropriately and work with their players appropriately and not do things that can be considered harmful, abusive, or racial now going forward. And number three, he said the inappropriate conduct engaged by club personnel will be disciplined either by the team, the league, or both. And says, while discipline, as always, must be on a case-by-case basis, it is my intention that it must be severe and appropriate and designed to remedy the situation and ensure it does not happen again. Again, they have not said what that discipline is going to be. And finally, they are going to be creating a hotline. Um, they call it the platform. They say, or well, perhaps a hotline where instance of, appropriate, of inappropriate conduct connected to the NHL can be reported either anonymously or for attribution for us to follow up. I think that's a good step going forward. Now, we'll see if that hotline actually does anything. And I will say, like we said last week, coming from a corporate background, hotlines are generally not, I guess, looked at really well because it's kind of like if you have to call in and say something happens, they know your voice. Like, and who's to say the person on the other end isn't going to go, hey, your player called in about this and not just contact the player. Daniel, you work in a corporate environment. Does your work have a thing of a hotline similar to that? 
Yeah, we have like some anonymous tip boxes and and whatnot through HR. So I actually think I touched on this last episode that I thought they would implement something like this. It is going to be very curious going forward as far as how the players handle that because it seems like some of the younger generation players are already keeping tabs on things, hence the book. I mean, with the Maple Leaf situation with Mitch Marner. So uh, I think it could be used more so than they think. But hopefully now that the word is out that they're cracking down on things like this, that it won't have to be. I, I think the coaches obviously understand that, and we'll get into that here in a few minutes because the coaching carousel has been just an absolute crazy mess this year, partially because of hockey reasons and partially because of these on-the-ice or off-the-ice incidents with the players. Now, the one thing I think that's also going to be interesting to see is where do they draw the line? Because this is being set up in a good faith with good intentions. But I got to wonder, where do they draw the line at the end of the day? I think Elliot Freeman said at one time, things like this have what they call the rule of unintended consequences. Yeah. Like, yes, it's appropriate to call this hotline if somebody is saying something against you in a hateful manner, whether it be of your sex, your race, your gender, or whatever, or if you're being abused in some way, verbally or demonstrably. But is somebody going to call this just to complain about something because they will feel like complaining. Yeah, that is the downside to a thing like this, but I'm hoping, like I said, that the word's gone forth. The coaches are paying attention now. They're trying to keep everything under wraps as far as what they know is appropriate and not. So going forward, it's basically up to the coaches to button down, figure out what's going to be the appropriate course of action. And and on top of it, I, I, I honestly think that you're through the worst of it right now. As we'll see a little bit later, it seems that some of the teams kind of got on the front end of making some coaching decisions, uh, especially even in the Central Division, because of things that were hockey-related, but I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's going to be a very interesting situation moving forward for the rest of the year and for the next couple years. I mean, we we go back to the Lavi situation where he he punched the guy in the head in Philadelphia. And it's funny because we went back and I actually pulled up some articles from that from The Athletic and they were talking about how even that player, looking back, he he doesn't feel like that was a a, a blight against Lavi or he didn't hold it against him because it was a heated moment. Both of them were upset and he actually, they both apologized afterwards and such. So uh, it's just a different dynamic now currently in the league. And I think the appropriate action was setting up the hotline. Let's just hope that the players don't abuse it. I had actually heard that the Laviolette situation was an accident, that he was going to put his hands in his fists and kind of uh, to make a statement. And when he did, he accidentally hit the guy in the back of the head. And the player came out and, and said that he didn't fault uh, Laviolette with that at all and that it was uh, an accident, basically. But Laviolette kind of came out the other day and got ahead of the story because he knew something was going to come out about it oh, the yeah. way the headlines have been going lately. He came out and, uh, and got out in front of the story, and it seems that... He, anything he did, it wasn't egregious. It was probably by accident, so not a big deal on him. But not every coach uh, has been let go because of some kind of inappropriate uh, situation. If you want to take it from the top, uh, I think we started with this week, uh, the first one let go was John Hines in New Jersey, and that really had nothing to do with, with anything wrong as far as uh, conduct issues. Yeah, the Devils were just terrible. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're pretty bad right now. I mean, John Hines' final game was a 7-1 loss to the Sabres. And 
So there's a year like, you know what, you're out and brought Elaine Nezardine up. He was the uh, head coach of AHL Wil- Wilkes-Barre. And you got to think, though, this team has number one draft pick in Jack Hughes. You have P.K. Subban, who we all know and love, and then Wayne Simmons. And you did have Taylor Hall oh, playing for you news flash. until today. News flash. We have a trade alert. And I was kind of hoping that Taylor Hall would not be traded today so we could actually kind of talk about and unpack it. But he got traded. And you know who I would have never thought? I told the guys earlier in our group text, I said, I would have never thought in the near future or even the present that the Coyotes would be buyers because they're almost always sellers. Yeah, very interesting situation. Uh, it actually works out really well. I think we were talking earlier about the Central Division because the front runners were, seem to be the Blues. Like and they Colorado were, was they up were, there too. They were going to throw the kitchen sink in to go for another repeat and get Taylor Hall and go for a cup run again. And it turns out that the Yotes wanted him even more. My favorite line so far was Hall and Yotes from yeah. the NHL. They did give up Kevin Ball, Nick Merkley, and Nate Schnarr with a first-rounder and a conditional third-rounder. Taylor Hall and then 50% of that salary is retained by the Devils until he uh, becomes an unrestricted free agent. Now, that's the real kicker is, can the Yotes re-sign him? More than likely not, but we will see how that all pans out at the end of the year because depending on how how far they get into the cup run, I mean, holy smoke, we're talking about the Yotes in the playoffs this year. First of all, that place will be kicking. Could you imagine Glendale with the Yotes, the the Howls? You've been there. That'd be pretty fun playoff atmosphere. I'm loving Taylor Hall uh, in Arizona. Just look at Phil Kessel's really thrived since coming here as well. And I think this is going to be another great step in Taylor Hall's career. You look, when he played for the Oilers, you know, they weren't very great at all. Then they shipped him off to New Jersey. New Jersey wasn't great. They are even worse. And uh, so hopefully Arizona, they can get a little action in. They may or may not make the playoffs. But uh, it's a real steep price to pay for a rental because they've even said that he's most likely going to try out free agency uh, in, I think it's June or whatever it starts. Yeah, he wants to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because look at this. The Coyotes have no cap space. Yeah, I, I, I just don't see it working. So the they're, they're going all out this year. The Coyotes are. Why not? It's the most exciting thing that's happened to their area in a long time. It's exciting, but look, here's this quote from Darren Drager. Hall will likely test the free agent market, so this could be a pure rental for Arizona. However, his agent will listen to extension offers if the Coyotes present them at any point. But just the rental aspect makes me scared. I don't like rentals, boys. I'm in it to buy. I'm in it to purchase. I am get that return on investment. This rental, I don't really like that very much. But as an Arizona Coyote fan and a freaking Taylor Hall fan, I'm really loving it. It's just uh, a little leery. I'm, I'm scared to see how much the Coyotes can do. But they've been great, man. They're, uh, their goaltender is like on fire right now. He's in the number one in the league. So I don't know. Well, you're talking about New Jersey being terrible. Look at P.K. Subban. 19-game point <sighs> drought. Last score on November 2nd. Yeah. I, I don't know if GMDP like, saw the writing on the wall. Was uh, like, it was a pure business trade, move at that point. Trade Subban so we could get Matt Duchesne. So that's a basically what has happened you know, in the offseason. We got rid of Subban to clear cap space to get Duchesne and look at what's happening. I mean, granted, the pieces around him are all falling apart for Subban, but does not look good for him. 
it just seems that New Jersey is just kind of a tire fire, man. I said a minute ago that Hall just doesn't deserve this league. He deserves something better because the Oilers mistreated him. New Jersey didn't do him any better. And if you look, I read this stat from uh, Frank Cervalli said that Hall is the first Hart Trophy winner in modern history to be traded within two years of being voted as a league MVP. Hart winners are rarely dealt, he says. So that kind of show, goes to show you how they kind of treat Hall. They don't ever trade MVPs. He's the most valuable player to his team in the league, and they're dealing him again. I don't know. I, I hope something sticks for him because I feel like I felt this way back in, when he played for Edmonton. It's like Connor, Mc, Connor McDavid. He's wasting his best years at a team that just isn't helping him get any success or traction at all. And he's really shining and doing great, but uh, to what avail? That's the downside, though, if you're the number one draft pick and you know that you're going to go to the team that just legitimately sucked the most, more than likely, the previous season, and you're just hoping that you might be the person to help get them out of that. Otherwise, you're like Connor McDavid. You're just stuck in a team that's perpetually going nowhere. Yeah, and the Oilers actually started off super hot, and they've since then cooled down. They're now 12th in the league, too. So, oh, you knew they were going to regress. It's, it's, it's crazy how that all works out. But let's move over to Dallas now. So... Um, the next day on December 10th, I'm at work and my coworker comes over to me and he goes, Hey, he goes, did you know that, uh, Jim Montgomery got fired? I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, go look it up. So, you know, I log on to Twitter and sure enough, first thing I see is Jim Montgomery has been let go. Apparently due to unprofessional conduct inconsistent with the core values and beliefs of the Dallas stars and the national hockey league. Clearly inappropriate in quotes from me on this one from our new League of Commissioners statement. So I want, I really would love to know the background for this, but apparently this is very hush hush because oh, yeah. um, one of the stars' actual beat writers was on Penalty Box Radio on Wednesday, that Wednesday after talking about it. And he was even saying he honestly thinks only six people know in the world what's happened because. It's more than likely all the way up to the GM and their legal staff, essentially. And that's about it. Yeah. I, I was listening to uh, the Spit and Chicklets podcast, a couple of former NHLers, and he says that he got to ask around his buddies and he knows the story of what happened and he wouldn't release the details because he said, I'm not going to be the guy that breaks the story because they, they haven't wanted to talk about it and let it get out there for a reason. So I'm going to let somebody else do it. But he kind of hinted at it was not nearly as big of a deal as the Bill Peters situation and that he probably coach again sometime in the future. But there is a huge amount of uncertainty right now. There's not much details to go on. The only thing we have is a couple tweets. I've got a couple I guess I'll read. One from Pierre Lebrun said, quote, I'm told the NHL was aware of the situation with Montgomery even before Bettman met the media here last night to announce the league's four-point plan, but that Montgomery's dismissal does not fall under the auspices of that plan, not related to it, apparently. And I know we were talking in our group, and we had speculated, oh, this was, this was the day after the four-point plan when Bettman says the league is going to severely penalize teams that have situations like this and they don't tell the league about. So we're like, oh, maybe this is Dallas trying to get ahead of this one before they incur a heavy penalty. But nobody quite knows yet. And kind of compounding on that, Elliot Freeman also said that Last night at the Board of Governors meeting, we asked if there were any investigations underway for abuse uh, slash racial comments that we are not aware of, and the answer was no. Whatever happened to Montgomery, it does not fall under that umbrella. 
So it's funny you mentioned Elliot Freeman because I was listening to him on the 31 Thoughts podcast and he was talking about the exact question he asked uh, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. And he said, if we had asked that question and said, was there anybody under investigation and left it broad as possible, more than likely he would have said yes. But because they narrowed to the current focus of what's been the news, that allowed them to say no. And another interesting point is that he said Dallas felt from what he has heard around the league that they had an airtight case for it to go this fast. He said Jim Neal was told about this on Sunday and on Tuesday Montgomery showed the door with cause. Yes, kind of similar to what I heard. I heard that Dallas, really their hand was forced. They had no option. This this had to be done. So we still don't know what it was, but it seemed that this was the only play to make they had to let him go for whatever reason it was. But it's kind of odd because, you know, Dallas started off 1-7-1 and one this year, so they weren't uh, looking too good. But people thought that Montgomery was off the hot seat when they went on a 13-2-1 streak there. Uh, even, you know, if you remember last year, they went to the second round of the playoffs under Montgomery when they beat the Preds in the first round. So they thought he was off the hook. You know, they've been doing fairly well, but uh, it seems that their hand was forced in this manner. And I guess another hand that was also forced in this matter as we move on is the San Jose Sharks. Yeah, they were on a five-game skid. Uh, they were 15-16-2 and two, and sixth in the Pacific. So uh, this had nothing to do with any kind of personal conduct. It was, quote, a purely a hockey decision. So it's just because the Sharks have been sucking. So, Well, I mean, look at the road trip. Nashville was the last game on that road trip, yeah. and they went 0-3-1 and one on that road trip. Final straw that broke the yeah. camel on that trip. But unfortunately... I mean, if you're looking at it too, the the Sharks have played four more games than us, and they're only one point ahead of us in the standing. So that is also one of my teams that I pointed out. I might add last episode that are drastically underperforming. You look at that lineup. You have great veteran talent. You have some younger people throwing in their cane. It just does not make sense right now. Goaltending, man. I their goaltending's always been a question. Yes, Martin Jones is so hit and miss. It's ridiculous. But at the same time. They should be winning more than they should on paper. And once again, we see another high-quality coach who has taken them very far, long track record with the Sharks, is out and looking for a job. Yeah, and there's a lot of spots open now. I think he's going to bounce back. I think you'll see him again at the head coaching position. But I, I like that play. You know, I'm, a, I'm one of those guys that got a short leash for the coach. I don't have any particular loyalty. I have loyalty to results. So if I've got a team, I feel like it's got a good roster enough to make the playoffs and make a good push and something is not quite clicking, um, I'll go ahead and yank them, man. That's the way I feel the Preds should be doing. We'll get into that. But I'm, I'm all on board for this. Let them go and see if something else works for you in the future. Well, so, you know, we're talking about coaches. So I think that's a great thing to move on to the Preds because the atmosphere in Smashville right now sure. is that people want Coach Lafayette gone. Oh, it's bad. If you've and, gone on Twitter right now, or, or even worse, Preds Facebook, don't even go. I mean, we are part of Preds Twitter. That's where we actively communicate is Preds Twitter. So we are part of that. And while we have not really come out and said that, you know, we want Coach Lafayette gone, we're looking for results. And right now, we're not really seeing results. Now, whether the consequences of those results is we get a new coach, then I'm behind that. But I think that GMDP needs to do what's best for the team. And like you said, Matt, you're not somebody that holds on to loyalty. 
if you were the GM in this place and you saw how bad the Preds are doing right oh. now and that we're currently seven points as of tonight, we are seven points out of the second wildcard spot and we're six in the division and Chicago is about to overtake us for last. Yeah, 24th in the league right now. Yeah, if it was me, he was gone two weeks ago. But if you look at David Poyle's resume, in 37 years as a GM, he's only ever had five coaches. And he's only ever fired two in midseason. So, and Laviolette's still on contract till 21. So, David Poyle is one of those guys that has a loyalty record. It is seems unlikely, if you look at the numbers, he, he will let Laviolette go, but... At some point, you have to wonder when that loyalty runs out because uh, patience has to, has to be wearing a little thin currently. Yeah, the the one contributing factor as to why I think it hasn't been done yet is we have played less games than most of the league. We're, you, we're looking at the schedule right now. We're, on average, about three games behind everyone. Uh, honestly, actually, it's the Lightning, the Islanders, and the Preds are the only three teams at this time that have played 31 games. Every other team has played at least another two to three, maybe even four games at this point. Now, currently, we have a game going in progress right now, and it's against the New York Rangers, and it's tied one-to-one. If we lose this game tonight, and then we have a back-to-back against the Islanders, red-hot Barry Trotz Islanders tomorrow, and lose that game, just put us on notice here really quick, because he is definitely on the hot seat, in my opinion. Well, I mean, going into tonight's game, moneypuck.com says the Preds have a 50.9% 50.9% chance to make the playoffs. And then it drops drastically that if we did make the playoffs, then we only have a 26.4% chance of making the second round. That's not good, boys. Yeah, to pair along with that, uh, Micah McCurdy has a little bit better uh, at ineffective math. He says the Preds have a 67% chance of, of making the playoffs coming into tonight. So a little bit more optimistic. I don't know what kind of uh, graphs and charts he's running, but Either way, it's not too great. He's probably running more of an average from the first half of the year because if you take that first month, red hot. I, I, it's honestly a tale of two months if you look at it. December's been okay for December, but if you look back, October, one of the best teams in the league. Lighten up. We're scoring five, six points a game without reckless abandon. We're just going down the ice. Now our defense looked horrible, but we were scoring five and six points a game. Then, you know, as everything started coming through and they were talking about defense and, oh, what we need to do to tighten it up, it seems like, and and maybe we can talk about this just for a second, but it's almost like the mentality shifted on the team to, like, try to rein it back in and be more defensive. Because you remember, those first games were like, like, it was a track meet. I mean, it was back and forth, nonstop hockey, six to five scores. I mean, let's go back to that Capitals game. That was incredible. Oh, yeah. It was like you couldn't even get up because you turn around and there was somebody else that scored. Yeah, it was it was fantastic hockey to watch. But then it seemed like the team was like, well, this is not our identity. Let's rein it back in. And that's when things started falling apart. It's almost as if like that mentality of like we have to be defensive-minded is still lingering when, in fact, we traded away a star defenseman. We got a star center to be more offensive. I, I like I know it's not going to be popular to to give up more goals and like Nashville is not used to doing that but at the same time might as well go all out score the five goals a game and still lose I I don't care but what has happened is I think you have half the team still thinking oh we need to rein it back in and then you have the other half really wanting to push the puck and do things and no one's on the same page right now 
And when they just came out high flying in, in that first month, you saw the results that we had. Well, it's interesting talking about the results in the offense. So before tonight, I went and took what has generally been our top six. Bringing in the injuries and all that stuff with Arvinson and uh, Forsberg as, as well. But I went and looked at the last 10 games for Forsberg, Duchesne, Johansson, Turris, Smith, Granlin, Yarncroke, and Benino. Now, the key here is Benino. Benino is our third line center. So, last 10 games, Forsberg has two goals and five assists. Okay. Duchesne, only two goals and two assists. Not worth one now of a guy we're paying $8 million. Johansson, three goals, one assist. Turris, we gave you a little bit of a pass because you were in Lobby's doghouse for whatever reason. Two goals and three assists. Smith, I don't know what's up with him. Ten games, two assists. That's it. No goals. Yeah, Smith's been non-existent this year. And then Granlin, who has you know, been injured off and on last ten games, has one goal and six assists. Now, one person I am really good to see that is actually getting results being on the top line, Garncrook. Four goals, four assists. Eight points in 10 games. But the shocker is Benino. But then again, this season, it really shouldn't be a shocker. Last 10 games, Benino has three goals and two assists. And if you look at Nick Benino, we've got him signed to $4.1 million. 19 points in 31 games. He has a shooting percentage of 19.4% for second on the team. That is ridiculous. And my question is, is this guy going to regress? Is he ever going to like just... Just regress. That's it. Yeah, I think he's really living up to the expectation of what, in my mind, I had him at when he played in Pittsburgh. Yep. This is the Nick Benino that I knew in Pittsburgh. And it seemed that he, it, uh, for whatever reason, it didn't quite click the first year. But now you even look at his line with uh, Grimaldi and, and Smith on that line. They have outscored their opponents 15-4 to at 5v5 this year. So Grimaldi just scored tonight too. Their yeah. line scored again. They are on fire. Yeah, they're killing it, man. I don't know what what they're got in their orange juice, but Benino uh, is surprisingly. You could possibly say Kyle, like you said earlier, the MVP of the team right now. Uh, it's very interesting. Not a guy you usually say. Uh, not a guy you usually mention in this conversation. I know. I mean, because like you look at it, Forsberg has got a five million dollar deal. Johansson's got eight million. Smith's four point two five. Duchesne's eight million and Turris is six million. And then Yarkroak's at two mil. So it's like this third line and Yarkroak are outperforming the people we're paying the big bucks to. Which is kind of what you saw when the Predators had a big run to the finals and all that. You saw these no name guys. Uh, it was Cali Yarncroak back in the day. They were really outperforming these high dollar players. It, it's some, what of their tenacity? They're just, I don't know, like they want it more. And you've seen the amount of production from players who you wouldn't expect it, and that's the kind of that's the kind of all full team offense you need, even from players down on the third or fourth line. Where are Nick Benino's goals coming from, though? I want to point out. Do you have you noticed where almost all of his goals come from? He's going in the slot. He's in the slot, or he's in front of the net. He's getting a deflection. He's getting those down and dirty junkyard goals, as Matt would say. Those are the ones like he's fighting for it. He's chipping. He's trying to get it out of the shoulder of the goal. And he's winning the battles. He's doing it in the trenches. And that's something, you know, we got rid of Brian Boyle. He was one of those guys. Wayne Simmons was another one who we wanted to be in front of the net. 
Nick Benino has essentially taken that role as that down and dirty guy, and he's looked halfway decent on the power play too. Power second power second power play unit. So uh, you know, I'm very impressed with his skill and that line for sure. As Matt said, they've been lighting it up. They just got another goal tonight. That line, Rocco Grimaldi, nets the goal tonight for them against the Rangers. But at the same time, you have to think if you're getting that such, if you're getting such good production out of your third line. All we have to do is get like one other line to start clicking it. And right now, obviously the Arvidsson injury really hurt us because that just knocked off the top line, knocked all the lines out of cycle. And honestly, I think right now we're seeing a problem with the chemistry because we keep rotating people in yeah. and out. He's and not letting people like, get time together. I understand Lavi like wants to keep tinkering and trying to find a line, but at some point he just needs to make a second line Make a first line and just let it ride until we get Arvidsson back. Because once Arvidsson comes back, put Arvidsson on the first line with Johansson because that's where they feel comfortable. They obviously feel comfortable with each other. Put them back together. Drop Forsberg back down. Slot whoever you want on that first line with Arvidsson and Johansson and be done and just let them gel because at this point it is killing me to see people rotate in and out every single game. It also makes me wonder how much of this is due to Laviette's system. So Laviette's current system that he uses for our team is a lot of forechecking, a lot of cycling the puck in the offensive zone back to the defenseman to make those shots. We're like Nick Benino's there. They make the shot. Nick Benino's there. They're looking for that puck that's going to tip in from a reflection or pinball around. And it just makes me wonder, is Benino the only one of our team that that system is actually good for? Because... The Preds take a lot of shots. I mean, let's be honest. They fire a ton of shots from the blue line. And what's interesting was the broadcast said the other day talking about how, you know, all these, all you need is one good shot on the net and it goes in. And I was like, no, <laughs> just because you have a lot of shots doesn't mean they're good shots. And so our friend, Brian Baston over on the forecheck, he's got a shot quality over time here. And it shows since game one in October, to the lightest game we played, the quality of shots, green being win, red being loss. And you can go over to Brian's work on, on Twitter. He's at Project Pat Summit, and you can see this for yourself. But you can see we just have a lot of shots and a lot of, and a lot of losses. And I'm like, guys, shots are fine, but you need quality shots over, over quantity. Well, exactly. Like you mentioned, it goes to what system you're rolling with, depending on if you have guys that like to shoot at the point or if you have guys that like to dig down deep, down low. You kind of optimize your system. Like, remember for years, you know, the system was to bring it to the point and let Shea Weber make a slap shot. That was the system because it was designed around that player. But now that you have different players and different playing styles, you need to optimize for their strengths. Just look at how much of a failure really Kyle Turris has been, and it goes back to flipping the lines around so much you can't get chemistry, but you really need to optimize to those players' strengths. And you just take a look at the shot chart, those ineffective and low-danger scoring chances are not a way to optimize your, your shooting system. Yeah, and you can tell it's very inconsistent as well. Like, you'll have your spikes for the games that we win, but then they immediately drop off. And, I mean, this terrible stretch in... November. I mean, just look at how below average the shot expectancy. I, I mean, they're very low danger shots, essentially. I, I mean, 11-19, come on. That, that's pretty 
pitiful right there. So obviously you want to look for those high danger slot shots and Benino has been the one that's been getting them or going to the dirty areas. So it's interesting to see if any other players start picking up on that mentality and trying to copy that. I'm looking for maybe some of the fourth line players to do that. But for me right now, I've just got to get the lines to gel. And I, Arvidsson skated today, by the way, first time since his injury. I'm happy he skated. So get him back on there's the ice. Good we need news, him. There's good news on the horizon because if we can get our little engine, our little energizer bunny, put him back on the first line and let him go, I just hope Lavi can just lock it down and just let people figure it out. Keep Turris in for all, I mean, like just let them figure it out because if he does not and he keeps and he keeps shuffling and keeps shuffling, it is a sign that he does not know what is working and what's going on because he does not know the combo. At this point, we're 30 games, 30 plus games in the season. You should know what, more than likely your lines are going to be each and every night. I'm sorry, like, that's just how it is. So here's the big question. If we lose tonight's game, and we lose tomorrow night's game against the Islanders, and GMDP says, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with this coaching staff. I would be okay with every single person on that coaching staff being let go, except Dan Lambert. Because Dan Lambert was brought in to fix our special teams. And you could tell the first month, we were doing it. We were rocking it. And now, I don't know if Lavi has told Dan, hey, you need to play my system and you need to adjust your style. But as of tonight, before this game, our power play was ranked 27th and our penalty kill was ranked 24th. That's not going to win you games. Yeah, it seemed like they almost flip-flop. I remember our penalty kill was like 29th in the league. And then we decided to crack down on the penalty kill. It, it, it's so weird this year because we can't get it all working at once. Like after that first two to three week period in October, we just cannot get the whole package in a game to where you can just go out and be like, have a decent nine on the power play, have a decent nine on the penalty kill and have our players just play and be coherent and very like cohesive together. It, it just hasn't happened. Um, I don't know. For me, Lavi is most definitely on the hot seat. I, 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 I cannot avoid it any longer. As much as I love him, he's been a good coach. He's like we brought up the stats. A tweet the other night where it was like uh, Matt shaking okay, his head I'll because it is literally eye opening how because everyone always says Lavi comes in there and gets the team fired up, you know, and they, he turns it around and then there's like a peak and then it comes right back down. It's a bell curve essentially. So Matt, go ahead and read the stats for the last five seasons or essentially four. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the interesting note is the Preds, like you said, they have an increase. It's almost like a bell curve. They get better. It comes to a boiling point and then they slowly uh, regress back down. And if you look at all the way back to 2014, the Preds did not make the playoffs. But then you look at every year as a result after that, 2015, they made the first round of the playoffs. 2016, they go up another notch, second round of playoffs. 2017, Stanley Cup Finals. But back to the next year, 2018, we go down to the second round again. And 2019, last year, we go back down to the first round. <laughs> so it's a stair step all the way up and all the way back down. And that leads us to this year, 2020, by the same pattern, that means we're not making the playoffs. And that wouldn't surprise me because that's what we've been saying for like the last week or two. That's pretty obvious. It's going to be a real borderline and we're, I'm leaning towards we're not making the playoffs. And you know, another thing that helps you not make the playoffs is bad goaltending. Look, I like Pecorine. 
I like UC Saros. But guys, they've not been the best this season. And goaltending can only cover a multitude of sins on, sins on the ice for so long before it just can't do it anymore. I mean, Rene in 18 games that he has started is a .893. Saros is barely better in 13 games at .894. What do you do? If your offense isn't going anywhere and your goaltending isn't, isn't bailing you out, you're screwed. Yeah, there's only so much you can do. You got to work with what you got. But as we've mentioned, you know, this is probably the best roster the Preds have ever dressed. And uh, the results are falling a little bit short. So something has to give uh, in the time coming up. Yeah, they could call the Sharks and see if uh, Martin Jones wants to come over. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah, I mean, but if you look at those numbers too, like league goaltending has been really down this year because teams have been lighting up goaltenders. I mean, it's it's been pretty startling the amount of six, seven point games or seven goal games that I've seen this year. But at the same time, if you're around league average for goaltending, it's kind of like you said, if they're if they're performing an average, they're not bailing you out anymore, which means you're not winning those extra couple of games that you would have last year because you're not scoring as many goals because your offense doesn't know what to do at this point. So they're in a pickle. I, I, I don't know. Like I said, there were several teams going into the last episode that I said, man, these teams are struggling. We talked about the Leafs. They got rid of their coach. Guess what? I had talked about the Sharks. Their coach is gone. I talked about the Preds and the Lightning. And those are the two teams left that haven't made a coaching move that are really far down in the standings. Both teams, ironically enough, have only played 31 games. But you give them a couple more games with a couple more losses. Just saying. John Cooper might be gone and Lobby might be gone. Then... Who knows what could happen? But if John Cooper gets fired, Lavi Lavi might be very close afterwards, and GMDP better be looking out for John Cooper. That's all I'm going to say. Offensive genius, that would be an incredible fit. I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens and where it all lies. I don't want Lavi to leave because he's obviously done a lot for the team. You obviously know he's a good coach, but at the same time, as Matt said, it's results-driven. If you can't get it done, a shakeup has to occur to ignite a fire. The Blues did this last year at the end of December. They fired Mike Yo, and they ended up winning the entire Stanley Cup. They had the right roster. They just needed the motivation to do it. So if, if firing Lavi ignites the Preds and puts a fire underneath them and allows us to get to the playoffs and potentially a cup run, so be it. But I'm definitely looking at John Cooper right now because he's also on the hot seat because that team went from President's Cup winning. I, there's just something wrong with that team's mentality as well. Because they have a killer roster. I mean, if you look at their, I mean, it's it's, it's all over the place. Hedman, Point, uh, Kucherov, and Stamkos alone. Let's just talk about that. And they are still like only one or two points in front of the pet Preds with the same amount of games played. I, I don't know. Once again, another very underperforming team. But I would keep an eye out for that as a potential suitor for the Nashville Predators in the future if we do go the route and let Lavi go because, in my opinion, he is definitely on the hot seat. And you just look around the fan base right now, and man, people are upset. I mean, you look at the results. They want us to be basically another St. Louis. Get rid of the coach midseason and then have that miraculous run from Golton. And looking at you, Jordan Bennington. Yeah, you see the Preds kind of got booed off the ice a little bit on Saturday. So that's kind of a good indication of the fan base right now. 
Well, let's go to something a little less depressing as we move forward here. I know they announced uh, World Juniors is going to be going on in 2020, and some teams have already come out and said which juniors they will be sending to play and which ones they'll be holding back. I know there's a little bit of debate going back and forth about uh, player rights and if something gets injured and somebody gets hurt. So uh, you're seeing teams be a little bit more conservative in which players they're allowing to go and play for this. So that's something to keep an eye on going forward. And uh, the NHL also announces that there will be no World Cup of Hockey in 2021, although there is a plan in place for 24 and 2028, supposedly. And finally, I've been waiting for this story for a while. The Kings finally uh, let go of Ilya Kovalchuk. They terminate his contract after him being scratched since November 9th. Uh, he is a $6 million man as well. Over, uh, He's got a three-year deal, uh, six mil per and he was signed back in 2018. He's a former number one overall pick back in the day in 2001. But he's only had nine points in 17 games and has really had a lot of bad press and stuff about him and some of the stories that he's going on with. So I'm really surprised that he even came back to the NHL after going back to Russia. So is a lot of controversy and whirlwind surrounding him. He's not been a great player. He uh, didn't show up to practice the other day, and I think that was what helped them uh, be able to terminate his contract. So I'm really not sorry to see him go, actually. Uh, But one that was very interesting is that my boy, Jumbo Joe Thornton, decks Peter Mrazek with a throat punch the other day. Yeah, it was like one straight to the throat, just straight. Levels of man. Mrazek hits the the ice, man, decks him. And I have to say, it looked to be on purpose. I think that was a jab, man. That was an intended target right there. Very interesting. If you look, uh, if somebody else did that, if Evander Kane did that move right there, he's oh, probably getting suspended. Yes, yes. But uh, everybody loves Jumbo Joe. You didn't. That's really out of his character too. But uh, so it seemed to be okay. And then Carolina kind of made fun of Mrazek the next day in practice. They drew a body line on the ice uh, to outline where his body fell the next day to make fun of him. So that was pretty hilarious. And he seemed to take it in good stride. So. And I showed you guys this the other day. The Canucks revealed possibly the worst jersey oh, in history. Their practice jersey. Let's get a that good looks look terrible. at this right now. Yeah, I had to, had to pull it up just to get to uh, get another oh. visit of that jersey. It's, it's just horrible. Oh, it's terrible. So people who want to cry about how bad the uh, the Predators, uh, you know, outdoor series is. No, that's no. You just have I to go actually look like it up. our Winter Classic jersey. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I, it's pretty good looking. It doesn't even compare to that, so I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, good hockey guy, uh, Drew Doughty, the other day says uh, fights are needed in the game and they can't do away with them. And uh, you're starting to see kind of these trends in the league. They're cracking down on head penalties and stuff. But uh, there's a good old hockey guy who's uh, – he got in a scrum that at that game and somebody asked him about it after. And he kind of went on his own to talk about how, you know, screw doing away with the fighting. This is something we have to have in the sport. So – I like that. I caught the clip of him saying that. And back to Saturday news, Detroit was on a 12-game skid, and the headline <laughs> is that five head coaches were fired before Detroit won a game. That's <laughs> so bad. So I've got some... You and your Red Wings hat right now? Yeah. It's 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 on backwards. Yeah. That was a horrible... The worst stat I've got in my record sheet right now, that's just we're a horrible streaking, line. We're streaking, fellas. The wrong direction. Yeah. Hey, get go... Get that first round yeah, pick. Yeah, go all the way to the bottom, get the first pick or whatever. Yeah. Not looking so good in Detroit. Stay away. But uh, Jack Eichel, we mentioned how Buffalo's on a tear. He's on a 16-game point streak, which is the uh, best streak of the league uh, this year. Uh, Besting Patrick Kane had a 15-game streak. So uh, Jack Eichel's on a tear. And let's take a look at some of the milestones we've got. 
Uh, Austin Matthews in Toronto is the second active player to 100 even strength goals to start his career. He did it in 244 games, and Ovechkin uh, did it in 243 in one game faster. But on the defensive side of the ice, only one D-man in history has more game-winning goals through 33 games to start a season uh, than John Carlson, and that was Tim Horton. So John Carlson is continuing to be on a tear for the Capitals. And some more Jumbo news, my favorite. Jumbo Joe Thornton is now the 12th player in history to have played in 1,600 regular season games. That is so impressive. 1,600 games underneath his belt. And uh, Jumbo, now that Patrick Marlowe's back on the team, Jumbo and Patrick Marlowe, I think it was they played on Thursday, that game made them the first teammates in history to play in the same game together with both of them having 1,600 or more regular season games. Only, only pair in history to do that. And in about two weeks, if you look, uh, we're going to be rolling over to January. It's going to be 2020. That's in about two weeks. When that time happens, in the same season, of course, Jumbo Joe and Patrick Marlowe, together with Zdeno Chara as a third guy, those three players will have played in four different decades, the 90s, the 2000s, the 10s, and then the 2020s. It's incredible. Four freaking decades, man. They just, That's impressive. They just keep going. Yeah. They're, they're very timeless. And same thing with Yager. If he was still in the NHL, I think he's in that list too, but he, yes. he's uh, somewhere else. But He's in Russia right now, yeah. managing his own team. He's just having fun. Still scoring goals, too. Long live Joe Thornton, baby. So, Daniel, what games we got coming up? All right, so right now the New York game is currently in progress. It is a 1-1 tie. We will continue to watch this and keep us updated on the Lavi hot seat watch. Followed by a back-to-back against the New York Islanders. Barry Trotz, and they're pretty hot, so you need to win tonight, Lavi. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, then we follow up with two more road games against Ottawa on Thursday and Boston on Saturday. We come home for Arizona on Tuesday with a three days off in between. Pittsburgh on Friday and then Pittsburgh again on a home-home on Saturday. And at this point, we should be recording again at the end of the year. Kick off 2020 with a bang and... I think by then we should know a little bit more about our coaching situation too. So we might have to call an emergency episode if Lavi gets fired and just rant about it for 30 or 40 minutes. So, you know, we could do that. And I think people would, I think that would be our most popular episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to have a fire Lavi episode if it happens. Just Brian will listen. He'll be on, he'll be on the car just waiting for it. I know he was very disappointed because our episode didn't drop uh, this morning, Monday. So, uh, yes, uh, I think uh, we'll have to oblige people and do a Fire Lobby episode if it does come true. Look, it's hard enough to get together and record on a Monday. I could not do this on a weekend sometimes. Uh, we'll figure it out. But, guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been Music City Gold, and we're on the Penalty Box Radio Network. You can find our show on iTunes at Music City Gold, or as I said, we're on the Penalty Box Radio Network, so you can go into their network feed and find the show as well. So, until next time, guys, we'll see you on the ice. You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at Steve Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.